Hi, welcome to Don't Cast and Drive. This is your speaker person, Veronica Tyler Christie, sometimes V. And here with me today, I have from Arizona, Nate Hamer. Hi, Veronica. How's it going? for joining me today uh, I really appreciate your time uh, also what I think is really cool about today's um, episode is that we don't know each other super well no not, uh, not we, really at all <laughs> we've only met each other on Twitter just for, through like some like mutual follows and you reached out to me and you're like hey I have some things I would like to express and say and I said you know why not I don't mind having another guest and I do not mind talking to strangers which is (laughs) your parents must be so proud (laughs) (laughs) I know right so I'm taking a risk and seeing where this goes to kind of just reiterate so Nate here uh, is kind of like a, a, a jack of all trades so um what before we actually reveal to the audience of what you do what got you to be so creative um growing up in tucson we had just enough to get stuff like resources to do things and not enough distractions to keep you from them uh and i also uh somehow picked up the ability to deconstruct how things are done and uh Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like I can break down how a sketch from like sketch comedy is written or, or a scene. Um, and I can, since I started to learn how to do that, I figured like, well, I can write too, because I recognize how they're writing. I understand the structure or I can make, I can do this and that because I understand the structure. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Other than my parents, my dad playing me jazz when I went to sleep and grilling me on instrument names. I, I guess that's it. Oh, your dad was a musician? No, he just loves jazz. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, jazz, um, if you didn't know, like, I, I do a lot of jazz music out here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone says it, it kind of sparks a little, like, hey, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> well, my favorite my favorite instrument is the Fender Rhodes, and I have Synesthesia, which was weird. Till, like, I, I just thought it was some mutant thing until seen sounds came out by NERD and I was like hey that's what I have yeah oh that's awesome tell me more about that uh it's just different um keys and tones are different colors for me okay uh, yeah like a a piano is purple typically Fender Rhodes is a uh, royal blue mm-hmm. horns uh are yellow which ooh, that's that's real fun uh and then like uh, organs are or uh, orange, typically. Okay. And it's just different hues depending on the the notes. How? Do, what's the uh, vocal like? If you hear a vocalist singing, what's the uh, timbre or like what's the uh, color that you see? You know, I don't hear. I don't see a color with singing. I never really thought about that. It's just the instruments. Hmm. Hmm. That's cool. I think that's just how, and again, this is just me inserting my assumption from it, but I think that's just how your brain clicks. So if you, if you hear something that is not a, 
because I'm I'm trying not to say that is not a language because music is considered a language, mm-hmm. uh, but something that doesn't use like Westernized speech. Um, your your brain probably like you know clicks over to one side and then clicks over to the other side. So no, that's cool. I had a I had a professor in college who had synesthesia and uh, he he uh, would talk about how like he would see all the different colors and stuff and. What's interesting is I think there is some influence from that, um, from, I don't want to call it, uh, not state of mind, but more so like just the effect of how you, you translate things for your own. Like there's an influence into the music community anyway, because we always talk about like, oh, the tone of this and it makes me feel like this. Um, and so we get a lot of feelings from it, but instead you get to see like artwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, I did not know that. That's awesome. That makes you very, um, I guess, m- maybe more observant and inclined. So now let's actually uh, talk about what you what you do. So you said you talk about comedy a little bit. So like destructing the form of uh, co- comedians. So are you a comedian yourself? Yeah, I've been doing stand-up for uh, 15 years. I started 15 years ago. Um, it's something that I, I really like, uh, but it's also of the things that I do, the one that has the smallest chance of success. Like, as a stand-up comedian, uh, best like your decent scenario is you, um, you get enough work to travel the country and maybe overseas. Uh, the very best scenario you could get is to be a movie star. And you can count the stand-up comedian movie stars on one hand. It's, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like nothing. Um, a decent amount of success would be if you got a sitcom. But again, mm-hmm. you can count those on one hand. Uh, well, maybe two hands. But it's not a, a road of a, that I think that I'm going to be super successful in. So I don't put as much energy into it. But with my overall plan, what I'm trying to do, it's an important element. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've heard that before with comedians, that it's it's a very, uh, not a, it's a gamble, but it's a very hard-working field of entertainment. Um, because you have to kind of grind and keep yourself consistent. But from what I hear from a lot of comedians, it's like it's either that you have to like find a way to get your in on turning in packets... Or, um, you know, just like you said, like try to find a touring uh, gig or like a sitcom thing. Uh, who do you feel like you identify the most with when it comes to your, your style of comedy? Um, well, my favorite stand-up comedian was Mitch Hedberg. Um, Stephen Wright is also a big influence. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody who's like me. I, I'm in a weird mode right now. I've kind of shifted from, like, uh, when I first started off uh, in Laugh, uh, I'm sorry, in Tucson at Laughs uh, Comedy Club, the owner, uh, Gary, he didn't let us cuss. He, he saved the profanity for uh, the headliners, which I understood. Mm-hmm. But then uh, years later, somebody else took over, and then, like, people could cuss up a storm, and it didn't mm-hmm. matter about the headliner. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But now I'm... I'm going with clean comedy because I see a lot of uh, uh, a big opportunity to go into that field because there isn't a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, 
I'll talk about some dirty stuff, but I'm not cussing. Um, like right now I have a, a, a big chunk of material about 80s stuff, 80s and 90s stuff. Like I have a, a bit about the Golden Girls. I have a bit about how the Charles in Charge theme song, if you say it dramatically, it sounds like a horror movie trailer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have stuff about uh, how my, my dad was too cheap to get uh, like we grew up very Christian and very cheap and one day I needed a replacement Bible and my dad went down to uh, the swap meet and he came back with a Bible uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I, it, I talk about stuff like that um, it, a weird logical stuff I have a bit of like Seinfeld in me because it's a lot of like logical frustrations with other people too uh, like I have a bit about uh, somebody asking me which way this does this elevator go and we're on the second floor of a two-story building so that was pretty frustrating <laughs> yeah um and so let's see as for um just going about bits and actually trying to write material what's the process that you go through do you just kind of go about your day and then just jot things down that you think like oh that was actually really funny let me write that down before I forget or do you actually like sit down and like kind of grind out material and and so what's your what's your process behind that um something like my golden girls bit it just came from uh just logic it's just like and, it, and it's something weird that that's been right in front of us the whole time um the the theme song for the golden girls is about somebody who's a good friend mm -hmm. uh and then it says um and if you threw a party and invited everybody you knew like what kind of party would you throw for yourself a birthday party so you're you're the kind of friend that's just gonna let your own friend throw their own birthday party you're a terrible friend you're just a terrible <laughs> friend so something like that logic came um, the elevator bit I had was based on a true story. Um, Charles in Charge was an observance. Jeez, uh, trying to think of other stuff. Um, sometimes, when I, uh, frequently when I write, I'll take a scenario that seems normal and I'll imagine it just going completely sideways. And then I'll mm -hmm. then I'll use that as material. So you often like embellish the truth or think of like an alternate truth to yeah, like yeah. your own experiences? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's cool. Yeah, the Bibble story is not a true story, but it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a long bit. Mm -hmm. Well, whatever, it, how it works in your delivery, I'm sure um, that's what mostly matters too. Um, so then what's your conduct like on stage? Uh, what do you mean? Like when you deliver the jokes, is it like, so... There are comedians like Dane Cook who are just like super loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, and personally for me, that's not my my kind of cup of tea when it comes to watching st other stand up. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoy like the laid back kind of like it is what it is kind of delivery mm -hmm. uh, with <clears throat> a lot of guys. Um, sometimes Patrice, Patrice O'Neill, oh God, I can't even say it. Patrice O'Neill is like that. And I'm also kind of like the same as uh, like very awkward uh, comedy, but this is more like scripted comedy, like Eric Andre. Uh, so where you're so uncomfortable to the point that like you can't handle it, but 
it's still really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you deliver it, when you have like a performance or you're on stage, what's your style? Like, how would you describe it? Uh, I would say uh, more like a John Mulaney. Like, so I'm laid back, but if there's something that is frustrating me or something, I might start moving my hands around. But I'm not spastic at all. No. Yeah. The spastic, the spastic, I'm not going to lie, kind of like, not not that it freaks me out, but I'm like, whoa, there is a lot of energy going on. Yeah, I'll coke What up. do I do with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, that's freaking awesome. And how, again, how long have you been doing this for? About 15 years. About 15 years? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, so, uh, so also with um, doing comedy, you are also, from what I hear, that you're also very athletic. And that you do wrestling. Yeah. I'm a professional wrestler. Uh, I graduated uh, from Dragonson Wrestling School in Tucson, Arizona in 2002. Yep. That's fun. (laughs) Tell tell me more about your journey. Um, Yeah. In Tucson, like I said, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, So I found out that there was uh, wrestling going on. Like, I grew up loving wrestling. Um. Uh, I grew up in like the 80s and the 90s, so uh, I was super into it. And then it, in like 1996, everybody was into pro wrestling. It, that was just the thing for kids. Um, a couple of years later, I found out that there was professional wrestling in town, and I wanted to look into it to see about going to school. Uh, and I went in there, and I I went to school. Um, then I, I when I graduated, there was there were only a couple of promotions in the state, and I didn't have a car, and I wasn't well connected. Um, there was, I think there was one promotion in uh, Tucson and a, maybe a couple in Phoenix. And with so many wrestlers and so few promotions, it was hard getting in anywhere. Um, so in Tucson, uh, the longest running promotion was HIW, which is known for being like backyard wrestlers. And uh, mm-hmm. initially there was like a, a huge stigma on Tucson because of them. Um, mm-hmm. They went legit. Uh, in like 2009, eight, eight or nine, uh, mm-hmm. with booking legitimate venues and stuff like that, uh, completely leaving any sort of backyard wrestling stuff out. But during that time, um, promotions would pop up and disappear in Tucson. And when there's a, when you only get a couple of shows a year, like, what are you going to do? Um, and then like, uh. In, in uh, Phoenix, like there was an issue with me and this other uh, wrestler who like kind of put the kibosh on me for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that means just kind of poo-pooed me. And in the, in, the, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the climate, like I said before, when there are so many wrestlers and so few promotions, someone bad-mouthing you pretty much nixed me from Phoenix for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, over the past... I want to say five years, wrestling has expo- like absolutely exploded on the independent scene. Uh, right now in Phoenix, I think there are six or seven different promotions between American style and Lucha Libre style. And then there okay. are three in Tucson that do shows. So there's a, lo- there's a lot of work t- that can be done now. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I've, that's, wrestling's another part of, another element of what I'm trying to do. Um, it's can you can you describe 
to those who are listening uh, the difference between American style and Lucha Libre? Okay, so American style uh, is more uh, traditional, like what you would see uh, on the WWF or uh, Ring of Honor or any of the American promotions, Canadian promotions too. Uh, Lucha Libre is uh, Mexican wrestling. Uh, it's actually tricky because I, I was trained on both. Uh, it was just additional training I picked up, so I'm one of the few guys who knows how to wrestle American style and Lucha Libre. Uh, in American style, you lock up to the right, and Lucha Libre style, you lock up to the left. And, mm. and all the throws are to the left versus to the right. It's, it's, okay. o- it's opposite. So if you go in there and you're an American wrestler and you don't know how to wrestle Lucha Libre, it's going to look horrible because you're going to try to grab each other wrong because it's the, they're, the, they're opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so now with wrestling, as, as we know, I actually... Um, my only understanding of wrestling or the only reason why I'm a fan of wrestling is because I watch, you know, like big names like WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this whole learning about like the indie wrestling, I mean, not saying I was ignorant that it was happening, but I'm now starting to learn more names behind it. So from my understanding, <laughs> I love growing up knowing that everyone was so confused about the truth behind wrestling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Meaning, like, is it fake? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it real? Is it fake? Um, And so you don't have to admit whether, if it is or not, but how much, I would say, improv really goes into the actual matches versus what's scripted? It depends on who you're wrestling. Um, Some people just want to call everything in the ring which is possible, and it's fine. That would be complete improv. Um, some people like to uh, set up certain spots behind the scenes. That's the, that's the more common thing is uh, we'll talk about, like, bigger spots in the back. Um, and a spot is uh, just like an exchange, like a kind of a cool m- moment that is a little more complicated than just uh, just like a hold, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like a, an exchange of moves. Sometimes it's, they're really quick and it can be really flashy and cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then also for, you know, storylines or anything that's like actually like when it comes down to talking or what they say in WWE is like doing promos or, you know, talking beef or turf talk or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to call it turf talk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how much of that is scripted and how much of that is improv? Uh, in my dealings in the independent scene, I've never been told more than, uh, talk about this. That's it. So if they say, talk about the championship. Okay, so I'll talk about the championship. That's, that's about all they give me. And then I run off. Um, right now my current gimmick is the D. Um, I've been Mm -hmm. doing the D for, well, Dexter the Dream Killer Dixon, AKA the D. Uh, I've been doing uh, this gimmick for, uh, I want to say six years, um, and my promos are typically like, uh, um, the D's been getting soft, he's been laying around lately, but the D's <laughs> not going to step into the ring half-cocked ever again. The D's got to <laughs> swing his, his strength around and show everybody what's going up, because the D's locked, cocked, and ready to explode. So <laughs> so that's that's actually some uh, what, what I actually get into with my gimmick um 
so I was, stoic. <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, I did a Tucson Comic Con last November, I was cutting a promo, um, and one of the announcers, for whatever reason, was like, "No, no, this is family. You can't talk like that." And then like he, he cut me off, and I was like, "He cut off the D," <laughs> and then the crowd just like bust out laughing. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. And it's so, what cracks me up about the the whole thing with watching wrestling is, like, it's so, it's so cheesy. <laughs> but it's, like, perfectly cheesy. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a balance you have to get. It's a, it's a real balance between being, like, too cheesy and not cheesy mm-hmm. enough. Well, it, especially if you're doing what I'm doing, which is a comedy gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you were going to, if you're playing a tough guy, you're not going to be cheesy. Try not to. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it really depends on the, the type of gimmick. And, it, and it's kind of a weird... It's definitely a weird balance, and it's hard to find something that's right there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how do you feel in the wrestling scene, then? Um, sorry, there's a dog. I'll just let him stop barking for a second. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I think he's done. I'm pretty sure he's done. Okay, so going on. <laughs> uh, so with the wrestling scene, I've noticed that, like, you know, a lot of characters are, or, like, the people who are portrayed in it are often just, like, satire or stereotypes of, you know, either, either whether if it's, like, based on race or cultural which is in the same like kind of vicinity of race. So I guess what I was trying to say is like the whole the, the whole racial aspect of wrestling and creating characters. There's less of it, but it used to be pretty bad. How do you feel in the the indie scene? Is there is there more creative archetypes, or is everything still based off of like kind of like racial uh, stereotypes? Um, yeah, in the independent scene, it's not really like that. There's still old school Southern racism where like black guys are called niggers not in a derogatory term but instead mm-hmm. of saying black person uh, mm-hmm. and then like if you're an American they'll call you uh, like you're considered a white boy so people like I, I'm considered like a nigger and a white boy uh, like in generic uh, wrestling terms like any terms but a, a lot of that now, so- sorry is this actually when the show is happening or is this like behind the scenes this is behind the scenes it's people okay. talking to people uh, like, like, hey, book me, uh, give me like six white boys, is what like a lucha promoter would say. <clears throat> Something like that. But uh, okay. a, a lot of that uh, is, has gotten like phased out. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it used to be really bad in the WWE. We had like a, a manager named Slick, where in his, his video he was like eating fried chicken. Um, it, uh, they had like Papa Shango, who was a head, head shrinker. And then that made him less uh, to make him less of a, a generic stereotype he got turned into a pimp uh that's the godfather um <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of uh issues in the wwe uh, e and f um they have gotten better um but as far as people in the independent scene like there's a tag team called crime time uh mm-hmm. and their vignettes before they came out was them just doing criminal stuff like robbing, mm-hmm. robbing liquor stores and, and, and doing all sorts of heists and stuff. And I used to be like, man, it, it, I thought it was getting better, and it's, and it's not. 
Well, mm-hmm. as it turns out, that gimmick was their idea that they came up with when they were in the independent scene. And Vince loved it and signed them. Um, mm-hmm. But then, he, then again, you turn around and there's stuff like Mark Henry. When he won his uh, heavyweight championship, his nickname was the Silverback Gorilla. So, mm. so I mean, the independent scene, there's a lot of, a lot of freedom with your character. Um, unless you're with maybe like a... A bigger promotion like I'm trying to get booked with this promotion that works on TV uh, and, mm-hmm. and they would I would have a completely different gimmick uh, and it would be pretty much what they came up with uh, okay. but yeah the independent scene is it's cool because you can do a lot of different things it gives you the freedom to really express what your ideas are um, yeah yeah versus I'm sure there's gonna be more restrictions the higher up you go <laughs> yeah absolutely um, okay and then I guess my, my last question, or not really last question, but um, what do you, how do you feel gimmicks or just kind of themes with the character, like how much do you feel like that evolves with you as a wrestler? Um, well, okay, so I started off as uh, Patrick Kilpatrick, uh, the Suicide King, um, and then I found out there was an actor called Patrick Kilpatrick, and I was like, well, you gotta kind of dump this. And then I came, and that was like years of work. I, I think I changed my name seven years into my career to Dexter Dixon. So that's why half my stuff online is Patrick Kilpatrick, and the other half is Dexter Dixon. Uh, Dexter Dixon has been all over the place. Uh, he's uh, been the Dream Killer, which is like a like a psycho type gimmick. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, the D is obviously a comedy gimmick. Uh, it just depends where you're at and what you need, what they need. Sometimes, sometimes a promotion mm-hmm. is stacked with too many heels or too many tweeners, and they need a face, mm-hmm. someone who can actually get the crowd excited. That's more why I became the D, is because there were too many heels and tweeners, and uh, I recognize. Well, I know that I can work a crowd and get them into it and get them excited. Like right, mm-hmm. n- like right now, uh, my instruments music is "Push It" by Salt and Pepper, and like the, the, the <laughs> nice. crowd, the crowd loves it. <laughs> nice okay so kind of going into some other things um let's see what do you feel as you know based off of the career path that you have chosen be like you know kind of straddling between both being a, com- a comedian and a wrestler um what were what do you feel like are some of your biggest challenges and your biggest successes um Shoot. biggest challenges are like, trying to be able to do like find work like <clears throat> stand up is really backed up here so like if I said hey uh, could I get a slot on your show for stand up it'd be like yeah in like a month and a half like <laughs> okay uh, and then um, I'm at the will of promotions as far as re- being able to wrestle, wrestle. Um, it's, it's really weird like uh Last month I had five matches. This month I have one, maybe two. It's just weird how things pop up and go down because there's not consistent weekly wrestling here. So that that's my biggest challenge with that. Okay, but your successes are? <sighs> still doing it, still being able to do it and still be alive and not having to live in a car. Some people have to live in cars. It, I mean, 
it's not because I haven't put more energy into it or just picked one thing because that's one of the biggest things I like oh you do music you do stand-up you do wrestling and you've made video games and uh, you make beats and like what well, if you would have just if you would just pick one thing and uh, like just just be a TV writer just only write TV scripts then you would be a success I'm like not necessarily because I know people who just did wrestling just did music just write just do stand-up comedy and where are they same spot that I'm at like there's with very little like uh, degree of increased success like yeah and how do you think how do you think feel are your next steps to you know kind of get away from that threshold so to empathize um, my my scenario is since I'm living in the bay rent prices around here are fucking insane mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, yeah it's it's so stupid how insane they are um, but also traffic left and right and then we there are a bunch of creatives who are trying to get by and like some of us are still either like living at our parents house which that's not my that's not my scenario mm-hmm. or you're living in a overpriced room and a house full of roommates yeah which there's no like center mind and you feel stuck and you feel a little out of control um but you know i'm taking steps to get out of that rut right so mm-hmm. i keep myself busy and i find more things to strive for and you know like the the normal thing like once you're you once you find yourself being an artist and i'm not saying just music just wrestling just whatever an artist meaning that you're well versatile in everything that you can do mm-hmm. there's ways there's steps that you can take to try to get out of that threshold they may feel small but they they it's still progressive you know yeah yeah um so um anyway uh what do you feel are the next steps for you so that way you can you know, kind of get some momentum on your side, or what? What things do you think you have prospectively planned? Um, right now, I'm uh, producing um, for an artist called Red Hood. Uh, he used to be known as Mr. Wilson. Um, he did uh, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of nerdcore stuff. Uh, I'm producing a joint album with me and Maros, uh, which is it would be another nerdcore album, and then I'm doing an EP with myself. So. Uh, as well as like sending out a beat tape. What I'm trying to do with that is expand uh, in the in the, the nerdcore community. So um, even though I'm not on a song, it's produced by me, and I and that's getting me out. Um, I'm trying to do more, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, clean clean stand up because that gives you the opportunity to do more stand up in different places. Um, sure, if if they allow cussing in a place, you're golden. But if they don't allow cussing in your 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 act is all profanity and stuff you you can't do those shows mm-hmm. uh, so that's what that pivot was um, and then with my wrestling I'm doing a there's a lot more work now like I said there's a whole bunch of promotions when there really weren't any before um, and what I'm trying to do is something I call uh, Operation Triforce and that's where I would be able to uh, rap uh, wrestle and do stand up at festivals um, like typically Tucson Comic Con would have stand-up and music and wrestling, but they didn't have it last year. Otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, I probably would have been able to do stand-up, wrestle, and uh, perform music instead of just wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. All There are all sorts of festivals that have these three things combined. Um, a huge one is the Gathering of the Juggalos. 
Uh, <laughs> that's a huge one uh, with all three. The Jericho Cruise, which is, they just had their first one. They're going to have their second one too, uh, soon. That also has all three. So I, mm -hmm. so I think being able to do all three will not only uh, help me get booked, but put me in a better position for notoriety. Other than that, mm -hmm. uh, um, I'm doing stuff like vo uh, vlogging. I'm going to start streaming uh, games because I have a, a cool retro game collection. Just retro to... game collection what's considered retro these days uh, 64 that would be yeah <laughs> I, I don't have a 64 yet though it's kind of frustrating like... no, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time oh, oh okay. <laughs> no, I'm an old man and old men have sensitive egos <laughs> I have a I have a dream cast in the closet right now sweet I have a dream and... class too yeah, and it's really sad how that's now becoming a retro or, like, indie. Or not indie, just more of a retro game. Wow. Um, and then same thing with uh, <laughs> Super Nintendo. Yep. And it's joining the forces with all of the arcade games, you know, all the joystick games and whatnot. Uh-huh. So I feel like that's a really interesting transition that I'm living through. Like, I literally lived through, like, the release of certain systems, and now I'm growing up to see those those same systems become, like, old school. Yeah, just like your favorite song when you were a kid is now on the classic station. And you're like, no, yeah. that's too new to be on there. That's too new. No, it's mm -hmm. not. You just got older. <laughs> yeah, Poker Face by Lady Gaga was on an old school station. Wow. I wanted to scream. <laughs> I went, no, no, no. She just came out. And then I realized, no, no, no. She's already made her impact and is now dwindling down. Yeah. Which, by the way, I kind of low-key predicted, not to sound like I'm a hipster, but um, when she was doing all that stuff with, like, you know, the meat suit and, like, <laughs> all the, like, very, like, abstract uh, aesthetics, I said, at some point, she's gonna, that's, whole style like she's gonna phase out but not phase out as in like lose her personality she's just gonna phase out from doing all that nonsense and then she's gonna start dressing normally yeah and yeah. then i had a friend who said no that's not true that's not true she's and gonna wear meat suits forever yeah she's gonna wear meat suits forever or show up in like a, a metal sphere or show up in an egg she yeah. showed up in I, I remember the egg that was it, the whole lady gaga thing like it was a lot like what bjork used to do yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's kind of like Bjork. I'm like, oh, she showed up in an egg, huh? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's Bjork-esque. Mm -hmm. But now she's starting to dress like, when there's like a, a bunch of these award shows. Mm -hmm. It's very like minimal in comparison to like the peak of her career. Like she now looks like she's like kind of normal, even though we all know her dark secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, but no, I always found that that was like interesting and now I'm like sad. So going back to the whole, like things are getting old, like that's it, how I'm feeling right now about that. <laughs> it, it gets worse. They, like, so just think about this. LeBron James has a kid who's like 17. He's like 16 or 17. Call him Bronny. Mm -hmm. I watched, and this, this is what happens with everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. I watched LeBron James before he was in the NBA. He's been in the NBA mm -hmm. so long, he's uh, he only has a couple more years. He'll probably retire, but his son is going to be playing. Like you're seeing the second generations of you, you, you see second generations of people. You see like 
rappers' kids become rappers, like Diggy Simmons. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just like they, yeah, and it's only going to get, as I get older, it's only going to get worse. Like, I'm going to see Bron, LeBron's son's kid at some point. Lord willing, I get to live that long, which... You got what? the little Bron Bron. Mm-hmm. We got the little Bron 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 Bron. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait till that little LeBron James boy, the Vine guy, the Vine kid become an adult. And then he'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember LeBron James. And now I'm going to call him LeBron Bron James. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's 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 crazy. Time flies. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Like... I have a sense of urgency and other people don't. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily understand it. Like, like I want to do my stuff and I want to like do it as soon as possible. Like I want this music out as soon as possible. I, Hey, how's it going? What are you doing with uh, these beats? Are are we going to record soon? What's going on? What's going on? Like, Hey, are there any shows going on? Let me do, let me do these shows. Let me like get as much work done as I possibly can and get and uh, have my work as tight as possible. Uh, and then, like, I, I hit up my friend uh, the other day. Uh, he's in a group called uh, Squints and No Shoes, and uh, like, they, they just they're putting out a, a twenty song album. And I had sent him like uh, like we decided we were gonna collaborate like nine months ago. And I was like, Hey, man, what's going on? You're putting this out, and you didn't even mention. He's like, Well, some of these songs are really old, and it's all about that. And he's like, Don't worry, there's plenty of time to make music. I'm like, Ah, I don't know. No, there isn't. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. But you can't make someone record a, a verse at gunpoint. Maybe you did that, but verse wouldn't be so good. I would assume. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Like I, I'm always the one that goes out like, hey, let's collaborate. And then I have friends who come up to me. It's like, hey, let's collab. And I'm always down. But man, time is just not on my side half the time mm-hmm. <laughs> time is not on my side half the time or even at the fullest time uh sorry that was dumb <laughs> oh my gosh you didn't sing <laughs> but, the song i know um uh, but basically um with with doing music i learned that it's either that you can't take too long you just gotta do it mm-hmm. or have it ready like i learned with doing collaborative stuff with other people like I can't just sit and talk about it. I have to actually start it and be like 80% done with it mm-hmm. or it doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, like I just recently put out a, uh, sorry, self-promotion, but I <laughs> recently put out an arrangement of broken clocks on Instagram. Yeah. I heard it, it was lovely. Thank you. Uh, but it's one of those things where I, I did, if I would have sat on that arrangement for too long, I would have never put it out. Like, it took me six hours of my time to finish the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And this was, like, doing different takes. This was actually mixing it. Um, And this was also, like, you know, just trying to find the setup with the camera and the video editing. Like, it took me a whole, like, six hours to do it, but I did it. And if I would have, like, strained it out for too many days, I don't think I would have released it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean. Like, I have a song called Robot Birthday Song, because I'm going to start making novelty nerd songs. Because I figured there, there's no real nerdy birthday song. Um, it's, it's, there aren't, it doesn't exist. So I made a song called Robot Birthday Song, and then I hit up my friend who wants to do, well, he's doing my graphic art, Daniel Walker. And I hit him up, and I was like, hey, uh, 
do you think you could do art for this? And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll take a shot, uh, take a shot at it. And then like a month later, he's like, oh, I can't, I can't really do pixel art. And I'm like, well, I could have put the song out a month ago. I can make something. Like, I'm halfway decent with my pixel art. So now I need to put the song out. I was like, I wish you would have told me sooner. My whole thing is that like each, I'm trying to build my years. Like I did a lot of prep for this year that I'm in right now. A lot of like coming up with song concepts, a lot of uh, recording beats and stuff. And I'm doing that not for this year. I'm going to record the stuff this year, but I want to be performing it at those conventions and stuff next year. So when people are like, oh, well, I guess we can hang around. Like, no, I want as much content as I possibly can this year. And then I, I just want to continue to build. I'm getting like my LLC soon. So again, I'll be able to write off the stuff that I use for my art, um, my gear, gas, equipment, software. And then next year I can get better stuff. And the next year I can get better stuff. I'm, I'm trying to build. I'm not. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. I don't know why people don't have more of a sense of urgency. They just hang on people. Some people just hang around and. Next thing you know, it's like, wow, that was three years ago. And I think, I think maybe that's what it is. Like, I didn't record for a long time. Um, I was just doing other stuff. I didn't wrestle because I, I was sick. I had some weird ailment uh, where I lost like 50 pounds. So I wasn't wrestling. I, had, I was low energy. Um, I couldn't really figure out how to record. Or, or, and I didn't really have like the desire to record songs. And then um, I was like, just like you said, you, you just got to do it. So I recorded a song and then I went in my files and I looked to see the last song I had recorded and it was three years ago. I was like, wow, that just slipped and it's gone. Three years is gone. So I, I guess maybe that's where my sense of urgency comes from. And yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Like I'm, I'm now starting to feel it too. Um, now, granted, you are, you are older than me. But... <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, but not not in a way to insult you. It's just more so, like, you start reflecting on things and you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have wasted all that time. Or it's like, oh, shit, I should have been better about, oh, shit, I should stop talking and just do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I totally feel you there. Um, Terrible So <laughs> Yeah, so let's, uh, can we, since it's April, um, I know we're kind of, like, seven days shy from the day, but tell me what you did on April Fool's Day. Oh, uh, oh man, uh, I, I didn't, I normally, I do a lot of stuff, but I didn't do my big April Fool's Day joke this year. Um, it's our joke. Y yeah, no, it, it's true. <laughs> well, so, no, sorry, go on. <laughs> so for the past three years, with the exception of, I think I skipped one year, I announced to everybody, Hey, I'm making an album. And they're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, it's coming out April 1st. And then it, the joke was that, like, oh, yeah, it's not, not going to come out. And I'm like, yeah, I actually did make an album. It's called Horse Hop. And it's a horse rapping over gangster beats. Just uh, just hard, like, trap beats. And then machine guns and the horse going. <laughs> and then the next year I said, I'm going to make another album. And I did. And it's Horse Hop 2. And then uh, I said, I'm going to make another album. And these were all, I have three of them all released on April 1st. They're all available for sale on Bandcamp under C.Bronk. That's his rapping, <laughs> his horse rapping name. 
uh, and he has a Twitter, and he just he, he talks a lot of shit uh, on there. <laughs> uh, he'll talk about horse-related topics, like the uh, those like twenty-some horses died in Santa Anita. You hear about that? Yeah, in Santa Anita Raceway in in Los Angeles, uh, something was going on with the track, and it resulted in like a bunch of horses. Like every few days, a horse would like trip and break his leg and have to be put down. And and it's over twenty horses now. So <clears throat> that's really sad. <laughs> you know it is. Um, but yeah, he'll talk about that. He'll talk about like having sex with fillies. Talk about doing smoking a lot of weed, drinking, doing coke. Uh, he'll talk about the Kentucky Derby winners, who he's friends with. And You're just basically Bojack Horseman who raps. <laughs> yeah, well, not as depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that show is something else. <laughs> it is. They're like, hey, you should watch Bojack Horseman. Uh, I don't know if I'm in the right place for that right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to get drunk with a horse and just sit there and be sad. Now, what was the um, the reaction that you got from people who listened to that when you said, hey, I'm going to release an album, and I'm sure you didn't say anything mm-hmm. about what it was going to be about, what the aesthetics were, what anything were going to be, what anything was going to come from it. So what, (laughs) when people heard that it was about horses, what was like the reaction? Well, despite me telling them that it's the horse rapping, which is just a, it's a bunch of uh, horse sound effects. So he's not saying any words and it's gone. And it's just mumble rap. No, it's not, it's not, it's not mumble rap. It's just like the horse goes, and then, and then I'll like move those around and it'll be like, he's right. Um, but yeah, the reaction was weird because, like I said, despite me telling them that it, the, the horse is a gangster rapping horse, people thought mm-hmm. that I was shooting, I was pretending I was shooting horses on over beats. Like, no, the, the horse is shooting the guns. He's, mm-hmm. It's like a normal mm-hmm. rap song with guns in it, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of guns in it. Uh, so a lot of people got freaked out by that. Some people like it just for the beats. Uh, and they'll just bang it around. Like, I have this song that... Uh, Every once in a while, I'll play horse hop, and I won't. Mm-hmm. And I won't realize that I'm in traffic or in a grocery store with everybody else, and like the like the bass is just booming, and then like a car will pull up next to me with the windows down and hear, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh boy, people looking at me crazy, like yeah, but no, that is insane. Now people As, kind of expect it. They expect a horse hop album, so I feel bad that I didn't do one this year. But uh, I was having technical issues with my laptop. Oh no! I, no, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I might make a horse hop Christmas album, just to say I came out with something this year. Please, <laughs> please do it. I'm not even joking when I say that. Please do it. Oh my god, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Okay, um, so is there, I guess we're going to get to kind of like, um, more of like the closing parts of this, but Mm -hmm. what is your, so you do wrestling, you do comedy, you do music, which Mm is awesome, like you're very well-rounded and like, again, you're what I describe as an artist, you're able to do multiple things, Mm -hmm. not saying like, like when the normal connotation of artist doesn't necessarily what i mean in this context is that you know how to do multiple things yeah yeah um because i don't want to label you as one thing yeah yeah that's um that would yeah so 
what, (laughs) um, what do you feel like is your nerdy, like, thing that you're into? So, for example, like me, I'm into anime and video games, and you said that you're also into video games, but what was the, like, the thing that really gravitate, what did you gravitate the most, like, kind of growing up? Ah, shoot. It was Nintendo. Absolutely Nintendo. Um, I have a song about Nintendo called 8-Bit Valentine. Um, Yeah, that's what got me started. And if you would have told, like, little seven-year-old Nate that, hey, you're going to make your own video game, uh, it's... And then it's just not going to come out. But you can play it. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is crazy how technology made things so much uh, so, so much simpler. Like, mm-hmm. like me, I spent two and a half years making a video game. And I don't even talk about it because I'm doing so much other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, it's completely playable. And it's a, uh, in beta form. And it's a, it's a jerk of a game. I don't... Mm-hmm. I mean, like... I, it, it's kind of like uh, Angry Birds a little bit, but pretend mm-hmm. that if you're playing, not Angry Birds, uh, Flippy Bird. But every time you failed, it, the game insults you. <laughs> like, uh, there's, I have all sorts of insults in the game, and it, it, you always have three options. You have continue, you have um, you take an insult, or you quit. You could quit at any time. Like, I'll say stuff like, oh, you died? Your parents must not have loved you when you are growing up. Like, <laughs> and then it's like, do you want to continue? Do you want to quit and get therapy? Or do you want to... Like, and there's a whole bunch of those in this game. But, um, oh, so there's a bunch of, like, clapbacks, essentially. Yeah. Um, I got into anime. Um, oh, my gosh. We had a UHF channel, which I don't even know if you know what that is. Uh, no. <laughs> a UHF is just, like, a non... Uh, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS channel. It's like an independent TV channel. Uh, in Tucson, um, it was KTTU 18. They played Dragon Ball. They played Dragon Ball. In 1989, one episode a week on Saturday nights at like 11. That's how I got into Dragon Ball. That It took me forever to watch Dragon Ball. And then uh, it, it got picked up by Cartoon Network. And then Toonami took off. Um, and then uh, in Tucson, um, I joined the Tucson Anime Screening Society when I was in high school. And there's like there weren't a lot of anime clubs and stuff like that. Um, but uh, every time I think about Toonami, I think about Tenchi in Tokyo and just get super depressed. There's an April Fool's joke for you. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> no. Okay, so Tenchi is like a special kid. Um, and all these girls love him and they're they're aliens and they're they're hanging out so over the series uh he moves out of his home and he goes to school in tokyo uh and then oh he, yeah, yeah yeah and then he meets now i remember yeah and then he meets this girl and then he falls in love with her and it was all an elaborate prank and she wasn't real and she never loved him i was like oh yeah so uh oh after my- all those women thirsting for him the it- one that he wants will was never real exactly um but like as far as anime my favorite anime is martian successor nadesco like no one has really heard of that it, it was on cartoon network for a, a little bit but yeah that's i like a lot of anime with tragedy in it and there's yeah so i i nerd i nerd out on that stuff and of course wrestling always 
I would always read like the dirt sheets and figure out like, oh, so-and-so's actually having a dispute with WCW and oh, this big countdown, like Chris Jericho uh, joined the w- left the WCW for uh, the WWF and they had, a, they had a timer before he was announced. But since I, I had always been on the internet reading like the gossip and the rumors, like, I, w- I was like, oh, that's Jericho, Jericho's coming in 30 days or whatever. So I, I even nerd out about that. Pretty much, you know. It. What's really cool is that when you mentioned Jericho, Jericho is also a musician mm-hmm. and and a comedian, and, and a comedian, and a wrestler, mm-hmm. and he's gotten around. Um, so what do you mean? Like, like as in like, like, like as in different. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that came out so awful. <laughs> uh, no, just like he. Uh, no, he just. You know, he went from he went from that first one that you talked about, and then he went to WWE, and then he's doing New Japan. For my understanding, he is doing New Japan, right? He he was. Uh, now he's going to be doing AEW, the new promotion that's coming out. Jer- Chris Jericho is the greatest wrestler alive, easily. He's he's a world champion in so many promotions in so many places around the world. Like he, for me, if you're going to be the best, you have to do it everywhere, everywhere possible. And that's what that's what he's done. So. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I wasn't like when I first watched WWE. I wasn't like super impressed with him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I am impressed by like how much like, I guess just how much he's like gotten this far with his career that he's now like seriously like getting to the point where he's starting to become like a more of a household name. Yeah. And so he, if like so, he's not a movie star or anything. Mm-mm. Not at all. Like he, I don't even think. Well, he probably tried to do a movie here or there because most WWE stars have gotten in a movie. Yeah, but, but the, um, the WWF does a lot of their own. They have their own film studio, so they shoved the Miz in like five movies. Like, oh, he's did done... they really? <laughs> yeah, they had a, a movie called The Marine. The first, the first Marine was John Cena. Marine, Marine two, three, and I think four. We're all the Miz, and it's WWE Studios. Like they have their own film studio. They, and they put their own. They put wrestlers in, in movies. Like that. Uh, they just had a movie about Paige, like the story of Paige, and that was mm-hmm. that was The Rock in the WWF studios. <clears throat> they even did uh, horror movies with Kane. They had a couple movies called uh, See No Evil. Yeah, I remember the Kane movies. I think they did one with Triple H too. Yeah, yeah, it's so. I mean, wrestlers in movies—it's kind of a cheat if you're in the WWF or WWE, and then they put you in one of their own movies. <laughs> it's a side mission. It's just a side mission. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's uh, talk about how can my listeners of Don't Cast and Drive? How can they <laughs> find you? Uh, SpaceLabX.com. That's my website. Um, it has clips of my. Match, it has full matches, it has promos, it has my video game you can download on there, uh, links to my Spotify, um, my music's up there, and on all major streaming uh, websites. Uh, let's see, it has, it doesn't have, it, it has a little clip of my stand-up. Uh, you know what, I think I'm going to throw some uh, sketches on there, because uh, I, mm-hmm. I write sketch comedy too, that's my favorite thing to do, is write sketch comedy. And I'm going to be, uh, I'm joining a sketch group in Tucson called Keep Tucson Sketchy. But I need to put more of my writing on the website. Um, I've written okay. 13 uh, TV pilots. But if you don't have an agent, you can't just send out unsolicited stuff. 
but yeah. <laughs> no unsolicited D pics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I, I'm more interested in seeing someone who does solicit D pics. <laughs> hey, send me your D pics. Like, oh, okay, weirdo. <laughs> um, but yeah, spacelabx.com is where um, you can find out all about me and all the things I do. Um, yeah. Twitter? Twitter is at uh, spacelabx1. That's my general entertainment Twitter. Um, to keep update with my wrestling specifically, uh, that's at that dream killer. Uh, C.bronk is at C. Uh, word dot dot bronk b r o n k. Uh, if you want to keep up with that horse and its nonsense, uh, <laughs> I think his banner is a whole bunch of guns. Um, <laughs> nay, nay, <laughs> nay. He has a song called "F the Naysayers," so <laughs> <laughs> not whipping nay nay. Not with no, not the nay nay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time again. Uh, Nate, I really appreciate uh, that you were able to share your story on my podcast. Thank you. Um, Thanks I, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, of course. So again, this is Don't Cast and Drive. This is your speaker person, Veronica Tyler Christie, sometimes V. Um, and my guest, Nate Hamer. Mm-hmm. And that it was it for today. You got Bye. it. You got it, Ronnie. <laughs> oh, God, gross. <laughs> <laughs> You shoot, I should go to your family tree and just piss on the roots. I'm sick and tired of your fairy tales about guns and loot. You ain't a gangster in some Tim's, use a puss and boots. Roach, how you claim you shine when you were scared of the light? Bitch, how you claim you fly when you were scared of the heights? I heard it's cool to be a nigga. Well, I guess they right. Your IQ's like your temperature. I guess that explains your ice. I'm getting-